Welcome to the Caris Christian Center podcast. All right, well, tonight, uh, go ahead and turn your Bible to 1 Thessalonians 5. We'll start in verse 12. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. I'm actually starting a brand new series tonight. I, um, God has been speaking some things to my heart about the imagination. And um, the series is called The Divine Imagination. And um, just different things God has been sh- um, you know, speaking to my heart. And, and a lot of it has been coming together. And I think... I can't share it in just one night's message unless you want to stay here until midnight and then watch Grace for Today live at midnight. I could do the whole series tonight. No takers. Okay, I'll, I'll do a series then. So we'll, we'll do it as a four-part series rather than everything tonight. Um, the Divine Imagination. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians 5. We'll start in verse 12. I, I, I'm... I'm gonna get, read kind of through the end of the chapter here. My, my main verse is towards the end, but I just love everything leading up to the main verse I wanna share here. So this is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. It says, it says, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. I love this, how, how he's describing, you know, leaders in the body of Christ, pastors, full-time ministers in the body of Christ. He, he, say, he says that they labor among you. My dad will like that verse a lot. My dad is someone who, who um, doesn't just admonish us, is over us, but he also labors among us. And he's out there spraying the weeds often. He, he likes to, if there's a work day here at the church, he, he's a part of that day. You know, a lot of his staff, he, he gets them to labor among us as well. So uh, I like that. Um, they labor among you, they're over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. I love that, man. God, God is blessed when you esteem leaders in the body of Christ. Esteem means to value, to set a high value on, to, to really love, to, 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 to care for them. I, I believe, man, I, I've seen um, different instances in our church history where, where people have gone out of their way to really try to esteem um, Pastor Lawson and Pastor Barbara. And when that happens, when there's just like this overall attitude and just love for, for those who labor among us and are over us, it, it, it actually helps the church body as a whole. That's what Paul is kind of saying. He's saying if you do that, it's actually good for everyone. It's good for the, the totality there. It's good for everyone there where your church is at when, when, when you honor the leaders that God has placed there in that house. And he says, be at peace among yourselves. I love that. Verse 14, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted. I love that he says, you know, warn those who are unruly, but also you need to comfort the faint-hearted as well. So, so you, can, you can speak truth, but there needs to be grace. There needs to be comfort there. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. Um, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. And so he's really talking about how to, how to really um, walk in unity, how to have peace with, with other people. He's talking about horizontal relationships. When we, when, we, when we really seek to love people the way God loves people, it really, man, it, it really helps the vertical relationship as well. Man, when, when things are in unity, the, the anointing from above can really, can really be impactful, Amen. So verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things. I love that. He says to test all things. You know, um, 
it, it's important to, to, to evaluate, you know, it, what, what you are hearing from other believers. Maybe it's prophetic words. Maybe it's teaching, something you're hearing from the pulpit, things from online, things from television. We are to test all things. That means, how, how do you test if something is, is true or not? You, you compare it to, to what is always true. Right, you compare it to what is always true. You know, I, I, I've, for, for many years, I, I've bought and sold high-end watches online. And I'm pretty good about finding authentic watches, but every now and then I get a fake. And I know something's a fake because I know what the, what the genuine thing looks like. Amen, and every now and then I'll, I'll get like a really nice watch, but I know like maybe just a, a small piece of it isn't genuine. Like maybe the strap isn't genuine. Do, do I then just go ahead and throw away this, this you know, $5,000 Rolex because the leather strap on it is fake? No, some people have that. I was actually just talking to, to a good friend of mine yesterday, a friend that I've had for, for many, many years. And, and um, he, um, he got really, he wasn't really walking close to Christ for a long time. And then, and then um, he went through some struggles in life, and then he got really excited. He really dug into the scripture, dug into good teachers, and he got really on fire for God, and he, and he went, moved away, um, went, went to a certain area, and, and realized that where he went, that there's, there were some things that weren't genuine. And he knew they weren't genuine because he, he was grounded in, in the word. He knew scripture. He knew what the Bible had to say. And he knew when this person would just kind of preach from his own personal revelation all the time. He knew that a lot of it wasn't always lining up with the word. But he, he was very hurt by this. He was still going through some hard things in life. And he just decided to, to throw out everything. I'm not ever, I'm not going to church again. I'm just going to isolate myself. And that, that was his reaction to to when he tested something and it wasn't genuine. Some people in the body of Christ do that. They see something or someone, maybe someone in their family, someone at church, maybe it's a leader at another church, I don't know, someone misses the mark and they, they just say, I'm just gonna throw out everything. I'm just gonna isolate myself, do my own thing, I'm not gonna trust anyone ever again, I'm not ever gonna trust. What, what is, he says, test all things, but what does he say right after that? Hold fast to what is good. Hold fast to what is good. This is a good word for someone. Hold fast to what is good, amen? Abstain from every form of evil. Now, I love this, verse 23. This is kind of where I'm getting into my message for the introduction here, leading up to talking about the divine imagination. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. So in my introduction here, I want to talk a little bit about what he's praying here, that the God of peace, I like that he says the God of peace. Peace is such a powerful thing. Peace is such a powerful word here. I love this word peace. In, in the Greek, this word peace, it's irene. It means rest, peace, wholeness, prosperity. Uh, I love this too because God was speaking to me about the imagination. What God spoke to me was that the enemy likes to wreak havoc on believers' imagination. The enemy likes to wreak havoc on the believers' imagination. Where, where, you guys know spirit, soul, and body. I'm gonna give a little summation of this. We see it right here. He's talking about the God of peace. 
The God of peace sanctify you with his peace, with that rest, with his peace, with his wholeness, with his prosperity. Even, the, even in the Greek, that word denotes prosperity. But one thing about this word, it talks about, about being like having a, a nation of peace, like not having war going on. It, it specifically means exemption from the rage and havoc of war. God wants you to be exempt from this havoc that the enemy tries to, 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 to wreak on people's, on their imaginations, in their heart, in their soul. So first of all, you are a spirit. That is the eternal part of you. That is the part of you that, that becomes just like Christ when you are born again. Amen. You are, you are a spirit. When you, when you die, your body dies, but your spirit, your spirit is eternal. Your spirit is indestructible. That, that's, that's, that's an amazing thing. It's also a scary thing because, because some places can't even destroy the eternal spirit. It's indestructible. It will be indestructible somewhere for all eternity. And you want your, your indestructible, indestructible spirit to be in a good place. So you are a spirit. You possess a soul. And you live in a body. What, what is the soul? My dad's definition, it's your mind, your will, your emotions. I'm going to add a little bit to that. It's also your thought life, your attitude. Someone has a little attitude. I went back to the youth last week. We have an awesome youth. There are like 70 kids back there. They love you. There's a couple that are a little unruly. A couple little attitudes back there. Some people need a little work on their soul, their attitude. Soul also, it's, it's your overall outlook on life. Your hopes or your fears, your ambitions or the lack thereof, your plans and also your, your imagination. Your soul is very important. You possess a soul. Some people's soul possesses them. Their emotions possess them. Their attitude possesses them. Their fears possess them. You must, your spirit must possess your soul. You possess a soul. Your soul is super important. This is, your soul is where you live. You can escape a lot of things in life. You know, if you don't like your house, you can, you can take a vacation. You can go camping in Colorado. You know, if you don't like your city, you can, you can go, go out into the mountains. If you don't like your, you know, your job, you can, you can take, you can have a sick day. You can have a little escape here and there. You know, if you, if you need to, to escape from your kids, you can take up gardening. If you need to escape from your wife, you can take up golf. You know, that's why men created, I think women created golf, actually. I think men, I think women like that escape, perhaps. So there's a lot of things in life that you can escape, take a break from, but you can't escape your soul. This is where you live. That is your permanent address, your thoughts, your thought life, your attitude, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, your imagination. So we should take the soul very seriously. God cares a lot about your soul. He cares about your heart. He cares about your thoughts. He cares about your emotions. He cares about your dreams, your imagination. That's why it says the God of peace wants to sanctify you, spirit, soul, and body. 
He cares about every aspect of your being, and he doesn't want the enemy to rent space in your head. He doesn't want the enemy to wreak havoc in your soul, in your imagination. He paid for you to have an abundant life. He paid for you to have complete peace, shalom, peace, total wholeness, spirit, soul, and body, prosperity, soundness in your spirit, soul, and body, amen? So I'm going to talk about, specifically talk about the imagination. The imagination. This is kind of the, the forward thinking, the hypothetical thinking part of your soul. The, the, and this is, this is super important. So let's go to Romans 1, verse 20 and 21. I was, I was reading through through these verses and God spoke to me really clearly about the imagination and, and how to control your imagination. And we see it right here in Romans 1, verses 20 and 21. So verse 20 says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So he's saying that, that God is invisible. You can't right now, you can't look, look at God face to face. But his attributes are seen. You know, the, the, the first attribute of God that we see in scripture is that, is that God is a creator. If we were to describe God, the first thing, the, the first thing that we know in scripture that God the almighty, eternal, self-existent, all-knowing, all-powerful God is described as is creator. In the beginning, God created. And this is what he's saying here, that, that there is a creator. Whenever you see beauty, whenever you see order, there is a creator. It's very, very foolish, very unwise to, to, to see something that's very beautiful, very, very well put together, and, and say there's no creator. It's just an accident. When I look at my wife right now, she, she has like a really stylish outfit on, really cool shoes, you know, a nice jacket, very nice makeup, very nice hair. I didn't just think, she, she just, you know, rolled out, rolled out of bed and, and just, you know, fell down on the ground and just bounced up and looked like this. <laughs> I, I know that she just just run into the closet and go, bang, it's a big bang, and look at all this beautiful thing that just happened. Look at how I just randomly evolved into, you know, like my hair and whenever you see beauty, whenever you see order, you know there is a creator. Now for our honeymoon, three and a half years ago, we got to go to Italy. We stopped um, by Rome, saw the Sistine Chapel, where Michael, Michelangelo supposedly painted you know, the, the, the roof of the city. You know, I kind of think that there was just, you know, a bunch of buckets in there and that a bunch of dogs, wild dogs, just ran in there and just paint splattered all over the ceiling and there was the finger of God touching the finger of Adam. Whenever you see beauty, whenever you see order, you know that there is a creator. And usually the, the more beautiful something is, the more order that there is, you know that there, that there, there is a very amazing creator behind it. Whenever you see chaos, that's not the work of the creator. Some people attribute chaos to God. God is not the, the author of chaos. 
He's not the author of destruction. God is a creator. He's not a destroyer. There is a destroyer. And the destroyer, he hates God's creation. He hates the beauty of God's creation. He hates the order of God's, and he especially hates the, the, the pinnacle of God's creation, which is what God personally breathed his life into. What God, like, what, what, what great creators do, what great authors do, great poets do, great writers do, great composers do, the greatest composers of all, they, they leave their imprint. They leave their image in their creation. If, if, you, if you go and study all of Bach's music, you will get to know something about Bach. Does that make sense? Great creator, they, they, they want to leave their mark. God wanted to leave his mark on his creation and he chose mankind to leave his mark. He said, let us create them in our image. So we know that there is a creator And, and when society denies that there is a creator, this is, this is the first attribute of God that we see in scripture. When society as a whole denies a creator, society slips very, very quickly into chaos. When you invite the destroyer, when you invite the author of chaos in and say, we don't, we don't, think, we don't believe in it, we don't, all this LGBTQ stuff, it, it, is, it, is, it is an attack against God as a creator because he created them male and female. Male and, you see male and female all, all throughout creation. You see it in mankind, you see it in animals, you see it in plants. It, it is down to the, the microscopic DNA chromosomal level. You know, if this earth is still here thousands of years from now, and that, you know, someone discovers our bones and digs them up, they will be able to tell if this was a male or a female. They won't be able to tell if, if, if these bones belong to a furry. Furries are now, it's a thing with young people. Young people identify as cats, and they go around school. <laughs> and they tell their PE teachers, I, I can't play that game because it will hurt my paws. Chaos, destruction, confusion. It, it, it is the work of the enemy. When you deny the, it, it is crazy how quickly. The fools just come out by the droves. God is not the author of foolishness. So look at this here. Because although they knew God, verse 21, Romans 1, 21, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. I find this next phrase very important. Nor were thankful. Nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. This is talking about the, the, their thought life, right? This is the soul. They, imagine, they became futile. Futile is, is kind of talking about the imagination, 
they became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. I love, I love this graphic up here of the divine. Like, I love that picture of the light bulb being colorful and bright. And man, that, that is an enlightened uh, picture of a divine imagination. It's colorful, it's vibrant, it's creative, it's full of life. But notice they weren't thankful. You're thankful. This is my first point tonight. If you take anything away from tonight, take this. Your thankfulness controls your imagination. This is huge. I actually shared this as a devotion uh, last Thursday night to our worship team, the, the Sunday morning worship team. We, we, every Thursday night, we, we start practice with a devotion. Sometimes I lead it, sometimes someone else on the team leads it, but, but this is something I really wanted to share to, to the worship team. Worshipers, musicians, singers, they're very creative people, they're very imaginative people, but being, I have a background in classical music, working with a lot of creative, imaginative people, imaginative people, imaginative, creative type people can, can very easily become jaded and bitter. Like um, professional symphony orchestra musicians, they, they are, they've like done ratings on their, on their happiness if they like their job. They're, they're at the bottom of the totem pole, which is really sad, really terrible. Like they're, they're below like toll booth workers, below trash collectors, The, the, the foundation of worship is gratitude. If you're going to be worship him in spirit and in truth, the, the foundation of, of worship is gratitude. It's thankfulness. And man, man, thankfulness, it directs your imagination. It directly controls it. You know, if you are unthankful, we see it right here in Romans 1, 2. If you are unthankful, your imagination will not work the way God wants it to work. It'll actually work the, it'll work the way the enemy wants it to work. It'll work in a destructive, chaotic, unproductive manner. You'll, you'll imagine problems that aren't really there. You'll, you'll, imagine, you'll, you'll look at very small, very minuscule, very doesn't really matter type things, and your, your imagination will, will make it enormous in your mind. The devil wreaks, wants to wreak havoc on the imagination of believers. I, I see it every week as a pastor. Very little, very minuscule, very insignificant things that blow up in people's mind. I could give some great examples. I don't know if the statute of limitations has passed. I won't, I'm gonna write a book someday. Because this stuff happens to me every week, the things that people like, a very small problem that isn't even a problem, that, that get blown up way out of proportion. And it's really not a big deal. I have so many examples. I'm using every bit of self-control. Not to just... Someday I'll write a book. When the statute of limitations has passed and... 
people either learned how to get over these very small minuscule things or they just let it, the devil wreak havoc with these very small, insignificant things. If you're unthankful, your imagination will create solutions that are actually not solutions, they're actually very destructive. If, if, I, if, I go for, if, I, if I were to go for a very long period of time being unthankful for my wife, I, I'd start, I, I know just even like one day if I start feeling unthankful and that, that starts seeping into my soul, my attitudes, my thoughts, my, I start thinking, man, when I was single, I just had all this free time, I, I didn't have to, I start imagining like this alternate, even your past, you start imagining like, man, it's so much better, or man, what if I had married that person instead? I would be so much happier now. That, that, that is, yeah, not really. We have some smart people here who've been married a long time. They know that type of imagination is actually gonna, gonna very quickly create chaos and some conflict and problems and, and you either get right or someone will f- correct you, your unruly behavior and attitudes. And you know, If you are thankful, your imagination, it's gonna, it's gonna work the way God wants it to work. The imagination is a powerful force that God has given you. He, he cares about your soul. If you are thankful, your imagination is gonna be, be creative, productive, godly. It's gonna be enlightened. God has given it to you for a divine purpose. So how do we get our imagination to function with this divine purpose? Step number one, just be thankful. Be th- Someone on the worship team told me that, that just for... for for years and years and years, he's really struggled in his thought life, especially with just, in his imagination. Just imagine, well, this person doesn't like me, and he'll have imaginary conversations going on in his mind about what would this person say to me, and how this, like, it's just, but it's always negative. And it kind of spirals out of control, and he's had a hard time, hard, he almost thinks it's a spiritual thing is what he told me like a spiritual type of attack, and he said he's really never been able to, to find a breakthrough in that area. But he said, I just, I just applied what you said. If you are, your thankfulness controls your imagination. And he said the moment he, he started sensing that, that type of spiraling out of control, imagination going on, he just started being thankful. And he said that, that, that changed his his entire thought life within a day. He said he, he had breakthrough like never, like for, for years upon years upon years, struggling in his soul, in his imagination. And just like that, I'm gonna be thankful. Complete breakthrough. Amen. And, man, creative people. Creative, cre- there are all types of, of creative, you know, there, are, there are creative you know, musicians, there are creative parents. Sometimes you need to be a creative parent. Sometimes just reading a book that has been written about it doesn't work. You might need to be a creative employee, a creative pastor, a creative 
computer programmer, a creative business person, a creative spouse? How am I going to be married to this person? I need some creative ideas, God. Thankfulness. Thankfulness directs your imagination. Next point here. Let's go to 1 Samuel 17. I was kind of thinking about one of my favorite creative people in the Bible. He was known as the great psalmist of Israel. I've been reading through the Psalms. I love to go through the Psalms. Just so, so powerful, so creative, so poetic, so I wish I could hear David on his harp and hear what he's doing with his harp. Someday I will. Extremely creative person. And um, I I believe that David had a very godly, a, a divine imagination. The divine imagination leads you into supernatural victory. So we kind of know the story, the backstory to David and Goliath. The Philistines were attacking the Israelites. They were a constant problem to Israel. Um, They were at the Valley of Elah, and they they sent out their champion. You know, we, we sing that song, You Are My Champion. Let's say that, God, you are the one who fights for us. You fight our, our battles. If, if you win, we all win. They sent out, the Philistines sent out their champions. So they sent out their biggest, strongest, most ferocious, most seasoned fighter, Goliath. He said, let's just, let's just get down to it. You guys sent out one guy, one-on-one, whoever wins, takes it all. He was out there day upon day cursing Israel, cursing God, cursing that army, and David, David shows up on the scene. Just the chapter before, he was, he was anointed king by Samuel, but he, he hasn't stepped into that yet. So David sends his father out there to go check on the three older brothers of the eight sons. So this is in verse 17. Let's start in verse 17. So it says, Jesse says to his son, take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain, these 10 loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp. Carry these... Ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare. Bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. He came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in a battle array, army against army. David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. And as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. He was cursing, the, the, the Israelites cursing their God. David heard this. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Where, where, does, where does fear happen? Fear happens in the soul, right? It happens in the heart. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? They probably, every night for the past 40 nights, they've been having nightmares about Goliath. They're just imagining, you know, which part of their body would Goliath rip off first? (laughs) 
They were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel, have you seen this man? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great, great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. David's imagination right at that moment started, started working in a different way. He started imagining great riches. He started, uh, you know, imagining marrying this princess of King Saul. He, he started imagining not having to pay tax. Tax exemption. It's funny, whenever we have someone political speak at our church, these wokies get very fierce and they say, we want to take away your tax exemption as a church. When Obama was running for president, he spoke at Rick Warren's church. I guarantee that not a single person contacted Saddleback and said, you should lose your exemption. I guarantee that Bernie Sanders had spoken at a synagogue before. I guarantee that all these wokies didn't contact all the Jews and said, every Jew in synagogue needs to lose their, lose their exemption. But I guarantee someone's going to be watching and seeing that we have Heidi Ganahl speaking here. Talking about wanting to make a difference in our state. That has been falling apart at the hands of wicked rulers. Righteousness exalts. Righteousness exalts. Exemption. <laughs> he started imagining all these things. He was getting excited. Then he spoke. And he spoke, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? This is verse 26. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This got personal with him. These are my people. These are my brothers. These are covenant children of God. This is my God. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? The people answered him in this manner, saying, so shall it be done. It's true for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, I find this really interesting. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. He heard what was coming out of David's heart. What David was imagining, what he was hoping for, what he was desiring, what he was thinking about. David's soul was on full display here. And it really peeved Eliab. A divine imagination will irk. Will irk people who've handed over their imagination to the enemy. It, it won't, it, think about Joseph. Eliab heard this. His anger was aroused against David, and he said, why did you come down here? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? You only have a few sheep. You don't even have as many sheep as I have. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. See, see it's, a, it's about David's heart. It's about his soul. I know your... Discernment. If people don't really have discernment, they mistake confidence for pride. That's a good word. 
I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. David said, what have I done now? I love this, you know, brotherly banter here. Is there not a cause? What's the matter with you? What's the matter with everyone here? Then he turned from, he just turned, he just, this is, that's all he's, what have I done? Is there not a cause? He didn't even, he didn't have to defend himself. He didn't have to explain himself. He kept it short. He kept it to the point, And he turned and walked away. Turned to someone else. The other said the same thing. These people answered him as the first ones did. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul. He sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart. With David, it was a heart thing. He knew that all these people were falling apart. Their hearts were failing them. They were just having nightmares, imagining being, being torn apart by Goliath. He said, Let, let's stop. I don't want their hearts to fail anymore. I, I'm going to take care of business. Send me. He had a divine imagination. That is what propelled him to supernatural victory. David could have been unthankful for many things. Put yourself in David's shoes right here. He could have been unthankful that the, you know, the army of Israel, I was coming here to see a fight. I got my popcorn. I got my cheese. I got my, his brother's probably right. He wanted to see a fight. If you pay a lot of money, if you go a long ways to go see a game, you want to see a good game. You don't want to see a complete blowout, 100 to 0 football game. You want to see a fight. David came a long way. He, he probably a lot of cheese for that little scrawny redheaded kid to carry. And he wanted to make it worth his time. You know, the, the, this army is a bunch of chickens. My brothers are just a bunch of mean bullies. Eliab just picks on me. The king doesn't even believe in me, even though I'm the only one willing to step up to do this job. No, I'm on the, I mean, as he got closer, Goliath, man, God, he's a little taller the closer I get to him. Couldn't he, he have been just a little bit shorter, you know, nine feet, ten feet? How about just eight feet? You know, that's... No, but he was thankful. Is there not a cause? There is a, a just cause for me to enter this battle. I can be rich. I can be royal. I can be tax-exempt all in one day. You know, I'm thankful for this pouch that can fit at least five stones. I got a sling. I think, I'm thankful that I've killed a lion. I've killed a bear. I'm thankful that I serve the one true God of Israel. I'm, I'm thankful that I am chosen by the Almighty God. I am of, of the, the nation of Israel, the chosen people. I love his imagination. Man, Music is a great place for the divine imagination. We see that in David's life. Poetry is a great place for the divine imagination. War is also a great place for creativity. I just love the, the great poetry that flows out of David's mouth, the great psalmist of Israel. Actually, a lot, a lot of creative things, a lot of advancement occurs during times of war, during times of conflict. Maybe you're going through some conflict right now in life, maybe financially, maybe in your health, maybe relationally. Great, God can give you creative, beautiful ideas, inspire you even in the midst of conflict. Man, great, great, some of the greatest scientific advancements have, have happened as a result of conflict. I was like looking, how many of you 
you know, like your GPS on your phones. We have GPS today as a result of the United States military. When Russia launched Sputnik in the air, we got a little concerned. This is all nuclear arms race thing. It kind of spurned us to start you know, creating more technology, launching satellites. And then the military had first had GPS. It's really interesting to, to study the history of GPS. And then they eventually opened up like a weaker side of GPS to the public. But then in the, in the Persian Gulf War, they realized that the enemies were using their GPS, the, the, the cheapo version of it. So they, they shut it off completely. So everyone you know, who's used to using their tom-toms driving around freaked out, or their Garmin watches when they went on runs. The government just shut it down to the public. But now, now they've made it available to everyone. GPS is a result of conflict. I'm thinking, I get lost very easily. I'm very thankful I can just say, hey Siri, where's my house? A great, a great number of advancements have, have occurred as a result of conflict. And um, think about NASA and the race to the moon, you know. We have Velcro. Velcro, thanks to NASA. You know, how many of you love Tang? Powdered drinks, Kool-Aid. That's for astronauts. Astronauts need to be able to make some type of orange juice in outer space, so let's make a powdered drink that works up there. <laughs> Anyways, I love, I love just this creative, you know, poetry that flows from David's mouth to Goliath. Verse 45, David gets his five stones, goes out. He's already imagined this whole thing. I, I just picture all his brothers, King Saul, all the army. What, what do you think was going on in their imagination? When they see this little, you know, five foot seven, 140 pound redheaded Musician, country boy, coming against this 10-foot, 400-pound behemoth with like scars and you know just, just like chopping at the froth coming out of his mouth. They're probably what, what's going on in there. In there, no, seriously, what 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 do you think is going on in there? Imagining they're probably imagining what what is the the quickest exit. It may be behind me, it may be in front, but I'm gonna find where the quickest exit out of this valley is. What's the shortest you know, route to mama's house? I want my mama, this has been traumatic for me. I need therapy after these 40 days here listening to this Goliath and I bet Dave, can David hold him off for at least 30 seconds? I think I can outrun him if I get a 30 second head start. God, please allow David just to hold them off for 30 seconds when I start running. So he goes out. Verse 45. You come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. He's, already, he's imagined every gruesome detail of this. He's a creative, imagined, he, he has imagined every little detail of this great symphony that he's about ready to write for all of history. 
This day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air, and not only them, the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. That is one of my favorite poems in all of the Bible right there. He goes out. First stone slings it right into his skull. He's already imagined this whole thing playing out. He, he, he already knew where, where the, the quickest sword is to chop off that guy's head. He knew I'm going to have to lift up this giant sword and just drop it. Just However, I'm going to whack that thing off. It probably took the rest of Israel like a full minute to realize what had happened. Because their imaginations have been working the, the, the wrong way for 40 days and nights now. David had a divine imagination. And it led him into supernatural victory. Amen? My last very short point is this. So I said, thankfulness directs your imagination. Divine imagination leads you into supernatural victory. And lastly, you need to guard your heart by guarding your imagination. Guard your, keep, the Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. You know, if your imagination isn't creative but rather destructive, if you feel like your imagination is, is not going in the divine direction, cut out some junk. If your decisions are based upon fear, what's causing that? Sometimes you ask the, ask the Holy Spirit to ask you, what, what is causing this? Am I not being thankful? Am I, am I, is there something I need to cut out? Maybe, maybe it's parenting. You know, I, I love children because they have beautiful imaginations. They haven't been so, so tainted, so darkened by the world, by the systems and just... You can actually learn how to be creative. It's amazing. You know, when, when I was in Houston going to grad school, getting my master's and doctorate in music, I taught, I taught, at one point I was teaching 40 students a week flute lessons. A lot of middle school, but I saw a huge shift in middle school students from sixth grade to eighth grade. I could ask sixth grade, sixth graders just very simple, try to imagine something, a type of creative type question. They could give me a great answer. You know, if, if I were playing the, this song they're working on, a very simple song, if you heard this song in a movie, what would be happening in the movie? And they would say, well, this is at night. You know, there's a big moon. There's, and like, they would just imagine, but eighth graders, just like the light is completely shut off. Zero, zero ability to create, to imagine, to... But kid, you know, we, we, um, we lived so, some... Some kids, little kids, move next door. They, they love to come over to our backyard, to our house. They just show up and peek through the windows looking for Fisher. There's a five-year-old and a three-year-old, but the three-year-old is very imaginative. You know, he, he's seen me out gardening and stuff. So I've caught him a couple times this past week, you know, taking the hose and, and filling up a little toy, sprinkling. I said, hey, don't, don't turn on the water, please. But he's, he's just like... And another day, I, I went out in the morning, and my water had been left on all night long. You have to be careful, because things that you imagine, they have ramifications in the real world. 
someone has to pay a real water bill. You know, um, Fisher, when he started school this year, the, fir the first couple weeks weren't super great. I'd pick him up and he'd be kind of sad, distraught, and he said, well, just, I feel like I'm getting picked on. And uh, I asked him, well, what happened? Who did it? Well, someone kind of made fun of my name. They called me Fish, Fish Taco or something. I don't know. And, um, you know, he just, just said, uh, so, so Heather and I, you know, we, we take things seriously. Uh, you know, I look at Fisher and I think, you know, you're not redheaded, you're not scrawny, you don't play the flute. Like, I don't see why anyone would pick on you. <laughs> so are, are these just kids being kids and he just doesn't quite know how to process it? Or is, so we, we were kind of, you know, wanting, wanting to ask God, what, you know, what's going on, what's happening in the situation. And anyways, like the next day I picked him up from school and, and, and he said, you know, something bad happened today. And I said, well, what happened? He said, well, this girl, um, she didn't mean to punch me, but she was just kind of joking, like she was air punching, and, and act, she just was going to air punch me and just barely hit me. But when that happened, I just thought about it. I just started crying because I thought, why does this always happen to me? And uh, Heather and I talked, and I, I'm like realizing, well, this little girl wasn't bullying you. I think you're kind of maybe... Your imagination isn't working the right way here, Fisher. And he says, everyone picks on me. And, you know, like a kid put, at recess, put a piece of wood down my back. And when I was a kid, we, we'd drop grapes down our backs and smash them. <laughs> so I'm like, Fisher, it could be worse. And when he said the thing about the girl and just like falling apart and crying, I just said, I said, Fisher, you know what? You, you aren't, we, we realized that he wasn't being bullied. And, and um, for, for a while, he, he loved all these Diary of a Wimpy Kid books. And they're, 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 they're fun, they're imaginative, but, but the, the kid is a little cynical. It's like his big brother, and this big brother is always mean to me and picks on me, and the kid's up the hill. They're the, they're the mean kid. And just my parents, they just only give me something nice so they can take it away from me. And it's just kind of a little victim-ish, you know, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. And I just said, Fisher... We're cutting out the Diary of a Wimpy Kid books. You are not a wimp. You are, you are victorious. God loves you. You are not going to whine and complain anymore. We are, we are enacting a zero whine policy at our house. For mom, for dad, for Fisher, we're trying with Ada. She's almost two. God bless us. So this is our household verse. This is my conclusion. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Amen. That is good stuff. Thankfulness. That is the number one key to the divine imagination. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.